Olive Branch podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Anwar Mahajni. In this podcast, I interview activists with ties to Israel and Palestine who identify as peace activists and are working on ending Israeli occupation of the Palestinian territories. Today, I interview Osama Aliwat, originally from Jerusalem, and he currently lives in Jericho. He's the co-founder of Visit Palestine. He identifies as an ex-fighter. I'm sure he'll elaborate more on that in the conversation. But now he's a member of Combatant for Peace. Osama, thank you very much for joining us uh, and for agreeing to share your story with us. I was wondering if you could tell us more about your background. I read a few lines about your bio, but you have a very fascinating story that I think our audience, our listeners um, will learn a lot from. Um, so just uh, you can start from wherever you feel convenient. Hi, Dr. Anwar. Thank you for giving me this opportunity to reach more and more people and to spread our message all around the world. Thank you for having us on this podcast. And so, yeah, I will start my message with the usually I start with my personal story because I believe that telling stories make things clear to people because we usually in both sides are ignoring each other narratives and each other's stories and i believe this is a place where two stories and two narratives can meet and accept and understand each other and that's how people make peace so my name is usama i live in jericho right now i was born in jerusalem my entire family were refugees in Jordan, are refugees in Jordan after 1967 war. My grandfather was the only one who succeeded to sneak back with his 12 children to his house in Jerusalem. And they lived in Jerusalem since 67. My, and there is a law in Jerusalem, if anyone, if any Arab, let's make it clear, if any Arab lived outside of Jerusalem borders, Jerusalem municipality borders, more than 10 to 5 years, Israel cancel his residency. Jerusalemites are not citizens of Israel, they are residents of Israel according to the Israeli laws, and they could leave, uh, uh, lost this if they leave Jerusalem. And of course there is a lot of pressure in Jerusalem, so they can't stay in Jerusalem. It's kind of transferred to people. Anyway, my father left Jerusalem for a while and that's how we moved to Jericho. Uh, that was in 1989, something like this. And it was during the first Intifada. I had no knowledge about the conflict, about Jews and Arabs and Muslims and Palestinians, everything, except my grandmother's stories about Lifta, her village, how they used to have a lot of olive trees, how they used to have a festival every year for the olive uh, for the olive harvest and the swimming pool and the home and everything. And how the Jews came and took their land. Why I'm saying Jews here? According to my grandmother, not the way um, I think. So I grew up with fears of the the Jewish people, that they are scary, and they took my grandmother's house, and I used to see them from time to time, not soldiers, but police in the old city of Jerusalem when I was a kid, 
but it wasn't scary for me like during the Intifada. During the Intifada, I was going to my school in Jericho, riding my bike. Soldiers stopped me, full armed. Three soldiers stopped me in front of my school and asked me to ask me something in Hebrew, actually. I didn't understand, but with their body language and their hand were moving, hands were moving, so I understood they want my backpack my school bag i give it to them and they search in it and they drop everything outside on the floor i was extremely terrified there was my ha my legs were shaking i was holding my tears from fears when they and they left after i don't know how long the time freeze by then and i collected my books my pencils crying and i went back to my mom to my home I didn't go to school, terrified, and I told her about the soldiers, and she said, they are Yahud. Same like my grandmother, Yahud means the Jews. So that's why, that was, let's say, the first image in my, in my life about Jewish people. And this thing didn't end every single day soldiers front of the school kids throw stone at the soldier they target the school by tear gas we run from the backside of the school they beated my teachers and my school manager front of my eyes they came to our house they knock at our houses every night take people outside questioning them and detain them and beat them and ask them to remove the flags and delete the graffiti on the walls. My father was beaten many times. I saw that by my eyes. I grew up with a lot of fears. And these fears became hate to everything called Jews because that's all what I know about Jews. That's all what Israel showed me about Judaism. Actually, they succeeded to show me how aggressive they are, how powerful they are, how strong they are, but they never tried to show me anything good, anything positive about Israel. So I decided when I was 14 to take part in the resistance because that was our daily life. So I started with my friends collecting some money, some shekels. We used to buy a spray color and of course, without filling our parents and jump out of the house at 2 a.m., write something on the wall and come back and bury this gray color because it's dangerous. And then I started to, uh, let's say, build or create Palestinian flags, which was forbidden with my friends. We used to steal shirts and cut it and sew it. Sometimes we make it, we make mistakes by the, the black and the green up and down a lot of times flag. yeah palestinian flag of course so yeah it was this way my sister used to help us sewing it also my sister she's a few years older than me so she used to sew it uh, for us and i was arrested after a few months for hanging a palestinian flag in a palestinian neighborhood and i was there, I stayed in jail as administrative prisoner. Administrative prisoner means it's a law in Israel that they can't keep any Palestinian 
up to three years without trail, without going to court, without charge. And they can renew it whenever they want. But after three years, they have to release him. And sometimes they release us for two weeks and then they start another three years. So this is the system here. And in jail, to be honest, I saw a lot of bad things. I learned a lot of bad things about Jews. I and the soldiers were proving this, this improving these things by their acts every single day. And I went out with more hate, to be honest, and with more knowledge about the conflict. Only from my side, to be honest, about Zionism, about 48, about occupation, about catastrophe, Nakba, about everything. And I didn't learn anything about Israel because it's a Palestinian jail. So I went out of jail with, with a lot of hate, actually. And I, I came to Jericho after. They, of course, they throw me in Jenin in the end of the West Bank, where I didn't know where I am until a Palestinian guy find me at 4 a.m. And he took me to his house. And then he drove me to Jericho. I came here very afraid. And, and I really missed my family. I was a good, I was a good boy. I was a good student. I was the first in my class. I was basketball player. I was learning to play piano. I was like not uh, a loser, just want to go to jail. But this is our life. And we, we don't have, we didn't know anything else, any other kind of life. So, so I decided to continue my education. But the situation didn't even allow me. They destroyed the house of my neighbor the, the day after I was released. They arrested another neighbor. My friend's father was in jail. My cousin, father, like my, my uncle was in jail. Uh, a lot of friends at, at my school, my teacher, they took him from school and beated him. And was, like everything continued the same way. And I decided to, to do what I have done again. So I started resisting again by throwing stones this time. And I was arrested again, but because of Oslo agreement and it was in 1994. So I was released fast and I joined the Palestinian police because I wanted to be strong and to have a weapon and to protect my family. Like everyone, like all the soldiers who has weapons, I believe that this weapon is the, the safety place for me. So I took the weapon and I was in the police from 1994 until 1997. 1996, one of my police friends was killed by the Israeli army. And according to them, by mistake, they shot him without knowing that he's a police. And I was mad at them. And I, I wanted to go and take revenge. So the Palestinian Authority did not allow me because of the visa process and they took my weapon and they kept me uh, like under their eyes for a while. I was mad because of this and I left the Palestinian police and I was thinking about resisting again and again and again. The second intifada started in 2000 and I was sitting in internet cafe in 2002 and I heard noise outside and people screaming and then i start to hear bullets i was sitting on the computer and i saw the guy who was sitting next to me falling down on the floor and the other and 
and bullets everywhere in this room and I was terrified. So I laid down and I, then I saw commandos wearing Palestinian clothes coming in and they speak Hebrew to everyone. I didn't understand any single word by, by then, but I understood what they said because it's scary and big dogs with them. And then they collected all of us and they took us all to jail. After a few days, they released us. And there I decided, I heard that two people were killed, three people were hurt, injured, and two people were light injured, serious injured and light injured. And most of them are friends of mine, friends of mine. They are living in the same neighborhood. Even the guy who's selling falafel outside was shot. And I said, these people are evil. They don't care if I resist or don't resist. I'm a target for them. Might be all our targets for them. And I will go to resist the game because I'm dying. If, anyway, if I am sitting on internet cafe or I'm carrying a weapon, I'm dying. So I prefer to die as a fighter and not sitting on internet. So I joined the Palestinian resistance in 2002. Until 2007, a lot of stories happened during then. A lot of people of my friends were killed. Until 2007, uh, a peace deal happened between the Americans and the Palestinians and the Israelis. So they told us if we stop resisting, we're going to be released uh, or our case will be dismissed. So I refused to be honest because I lost a lot of my friends, but it was pressure from the BA and friends and the leaders and, and BLO and a lot of people I know. So we stopped. So I went back to, to continue my education to my university until 2010. I was in Bethlehem, it was snowing. I was trying to go back to Jericho, but I didn't find any taxi because of the snow. And after a few minutes, I saw one of my friends who was injured in 1996, and he has three bullets still in his back sitting there. And uh, he told me that, like I hitched to him to stop so he can take me to Jericho if he's going back. He said that he has meeting in Bejala with a group of peace activists. I was excited to go to meet these activists. The first idea came to my mind, these activists mean international people. I can improve my English. I can speak English again to people and work on myself a little bit and meet people from the world. So I went and I found out one of them is wearing yarmulke on his head, kiba, and I stood back and I was shocked and I said, Ahmed, Hadul Yahud, there are Jews here. He said, of course, they are all Jews. And I said, how come Jews and these? It doesn't work together, it doesn't fit in my mind. He said, no, you misunderstand the case, I think. There is a lot of Jews believe in these. I said, really? Man, they killed their own prime minister because he wanted to make peace. Robin. Yeah, he was assassinated. Uh, yes. I don't think that was easy. That was whatever. And the people who was demonstrating against him are in the government right now, are in the Knesset. 
the people who killed him actually were prime minister and were Knesset members. So how come? And I went out and I was sitting outside waiting for him because I couldn't go back home. And I heard some Israelis talking about, especially one of them was, her name is Yafa Suleimani, said, she said, I believe we have the right to stop the missiles from Gaza and protect our people, but I think we are doing this with iron fist. We are destroying everything. We are cleaning, like whipping people in Gaza in order to protect our soldiers without caring about surveillance, not surveillance, and we always have excuses. They hide here, they hide here. They use houses like... And she said, Gaza is too small if they don't use these places, where are they gonna fight from? So I was shocked actually, how come a Jewish Israeli woman see my pain or my people pain or care about us? I went back after I asked many questions to my friends about these people. And I went back with, with a crack thinking about how come there is a good Jewish person on this planet? All what I have seen are bad people, to be honest. I'm sorry if this sounds racist, but that's what I saw. So, yeah, so I went back and I was thinking again and again. I asked the same friend to take me again to another meeting where I met a lot of wonderful, amazing people. One of them is a pilot who, his name is Jonathan Shabira, who refused to airstrike Gaza and he created a movement called the Refusers because he refused the crimes against the Palestinians in Gaza. And he said, I, this is not my Judaism and this is not why I'm here. So this guy, I think was one of the people who changed my, my life. I start, it's a journey. It's not to one step, it's a process. But I think that's how I started to be open to listen to Israelis or to Jewish people and to meet them where they are and try to make connection before correction and try to understand that their fears. Because I think now that my enemy is not the Jewish people. I think the fears of the Jewish people and the same on the other side, our fears is their enemy. So, so I started from there to know more and to understand the Israeli narrative more. Mm -hmm. Because as I said before, I believe peace is a place where narratives can believe and accept each other. And I went to concentration camps for the first flight in my life. I went to Sachsenhausen, to Berlin to feel the pain of the Jewish people, even though I was not part of this. I'm not responsible of what happened to them. I was not part of this, but I wanted to understand the story that I haven't been told in my life. I went there and I find myself crying and I felt pain for, for these victims. And from there I said, yeah, this, what happened when you think you are better than other people. This what happened when you think you are chosen than other people. This what you think you, you believe you, 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 you deserve rights more than other people. Mm -hmm. And I came here to, with, with, with a big 
decision. I have to change the situation so we don't reach this place mm -hmm. in the future. So, and I started, uh, I created a group called Visit Palestine because I found out that we don't meet. We, Israel, Israel are working hard to keep us separated. Mm -hmm or to keep us in different levels. Yani everywhere Palestinian meet Israeli, the Israeli is the boss and the Palestinian is the slave. Mm -hmm. Otherwise they don't meet. And of course the slave will never like the boss. So that's kind of the separation. So- And the boss I will never see the humanity of the slave, right? Yes. So I, I decided to, to start talk to people and start to understand people and to start to fill in my story. So I create Visit Palestine group to bring Israelis to West Bank, to Palestinian cities under Palestinian control to show them that we are human beings and we want to live and we deserve to live and to show them what life under incubation means. It doesn't mean that just because you are Jew, I'm against you. I don't have water at my home even though the settler next to me have 2,000 hectares of, of uh, agricultural lands and he has water, he has rights and I don't, he has citizenship and I don't, he has airport and I don't, he has port, he has market, he has government, he has everything, he has state, he has freedom, I don't. And he's five minutes away from me, why? Mm -hmm. Why I have to live this life? Why my children have to live this life? Why I never been in the, on the beach during my life? Because of your racist rules. So, and to show Palestinians at the same time that Israelis are not only full-on soldiers. They are humans, there are human beings, there are people who believe in my rights and want to make change. So that's how I started. And then I joined uh, Combatants for Peace. Mm -hmm. uh, this big organization, it was it's an organization that was found by ex-soldiers and ex-fighters from both sides, both sides, mm -hmm. uh, Israelis and Palestinians. Uh, these people decided to put the weapon away and to end this conflict non-violently because the violence circle will not end as, as, and as long as we are fighting each other, we will never reach mm -hmm. any, any, any agreement because none of us is going away. We are both staying on this land and we have to find a way to share it instead of dividing it equally mm -hmm. and to share it with full rights to everyone. And mm -hmm. now I started with in working in Jordan Valley. Of course, the situation here is uh, catastrophe again, the catastrophe is continuing like they are this destroying homes, people living without water, building a new outpost, even not settlements. I mean, the difference between the outpost and the settlement, the settlement is illegal place according to the international law and it's legal according to Israeli law. But there are more than 70 outposts in West Bank, which is illegal according to the Israeli law and the international law and Israelis still support them by water and electricity and the protection and army and everything. And the Bedouins who are living to the, next to them since 50 years in small metal tents or in a tent in 50 degrees, yani 120 Fahrenheit, 
the, the, the heat is here. And today they destroyed more than 11 tents to people and they left them without shelter under the sun. I think I, 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 it's a duty of every human being in this world to fight against this, no matter who's doing it. If it's Israel or Mecca or Muhammad or Saudi Arabia or Jesus or anyone, I'm not fighting against Judaism. I'm not fighting against Israel. I'm fighting against people who don't see other people as a human beings. I'm fighting for equality and justice for everyone, for the Israelis and for the Palestinians at the same time. Wow, that's just a fascinating story, Osama. I, um, could I follow up with a question? Please. Um, so I do have a question about how do you define peace activism and what is a peaceful and just resolution to the violence that you know has been there for decades now uh, mainly targeting the Palestinians from uh, you know a, a system and I am saying a system because I know you made a distinction between Jewish people as people versus you know the military security forces you know institutions that are right. in place to protect uh, supremacy of one ethnic and religious group over the other. But we're talking about people here, not at the level of institutions. And I wanna distinguish between institutions that are in place to maintain occupation, to maintain hierarchies of oppression. Um, mm -hmm. How can we find a peaceful resolution to this? How can we rebuild these institutions or even demolish them and restart again, right? Um, yeah. This made me, when I was thinking about peace activism and I'm looking at your story, I thought it was fascinating how when you started as a kid, it was initially with you kind of having graffiti on the wall, the Palestinian flag, you know, like small things, symbolic things that you viewed as- Peaceful resistance. I start with the peaceful resistance actually and without yeah. knowing anything about it. But it's funny that even like holding the Palestinian flag inside of Palestine, is considered like an illegal act, a radical act, right? <laughs> because you see like in Israel flags everywhere, Israeli flags. If you are in the US, you see American flags everywhere. But the fact that you can't even raise it on Palestinian mm. grounds is kind mm -hmm. of mind boggling, right? And then right. you kind of progress through your activism to more kind of active resistance. Um, maybe you, did you, would you call it violent? Uh, I mean, I'll leave you to categorize that. Um, and then you kind of came to think of more kind of reaching out to the other side and hearing their story and kind of uh, promoting justice for both uh, people. Um, so mm. I was wondering if you could kind of think through what peace activism means to you and what is a peaceful resolution um, to the, the 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 ingrained institutionalized violence against Palestinians. Yeah, so I think first of all, let's say the whole world understand the peaceful revolutions now, because we are Israel is strong in the media. Israel has the strongest army. Israel has all the weapons, and it's easier for them to deal with us if we use violence. They are dying to make us, they are pushing us to use violence. I swear to God, they are the ones who making us use violence. They create environment where if you don't use violence, like they keep pushing you, pushing you, pushing you until you throw this stone. And then they cry that I throw stone at them. 
So in order not to serve their system, and in order to be right more than uh, smart more than right, I found out that fighting women, big weapons, and fighting humans with another violence, it will not help any of us. It will keep both of us in this circle. If I use my humanity to show them all what you just said before, it works more. If I use my pain to explain to people where I am living now, it works more. If I use or not use, or if I go with my Israeli friends, brothers and sisters now, instead of fighting each other to end the incubation, we fighting together to end the incubation. So because it dangers all of us, it's different. It's it's different way. I know it's not working very fast and there is no result on the ground. Actually, there are some results here and there we building tents. We help people to get to, to arrive there. Olive trees, after a long time, they haven't been there because of the security of the settlement who was built two, two years ago next to them. So he prevents them to go there. We, we have done a lot of things and we have hired lawyers and we went to the high court and we have done the joint Memorial Day where Israelis and Palestinians mourn their beloved who were killed during this conflict together. We are trying here to, to use different way. We have been using violence since 48, even before, since 36, even before, since 29. People used violence against each other a long time ago. And I, I, I wanted to use different way. I wanted to see for myself, I, I started to see Israelis as a human beings, and I started to see their being, and I started to see my being, and and we. I find out that we both, both of us are playing, are fighting over who's more victim than the other. They are the victims of the Holocaust. We are the victims of the Nakba. None of us is taking responsibility of his acts, of the things he have done. So. Yeah, I decided to understand first more about peaceful resistance. So I start to read for Nelson Mandela, Martin, Dr. Martin, Dr. King, and uh, Gandhi. And I started to, to understand from there that you don't fight the, the dictators or the aggressive with, with the, in the same way. You find the other way. And there is, it makes a lot of sense to me to you, you know, to use the power of the love and the forgiveness instead of the love of the power. You understand? So, so this way I feel like I'm doing more. This way I feel I'm entering to Israeli people's homes and 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 schools and universities and even pre-army schools, telling them about myself, about the occupation, about the act of their own people, about their own acts in the future. And explain to Palestinians at the same time, Israelis are not all evil, not all want to kill us, but they all are terrified. We are terrified. So let's meet because, as I said, there is a big rule in NBC, correction, a connection before correction. We have to meet and understand and feel the pain of each other first and then fight together to end this way, to end this occupation. It will never help if I stand for one side, it will never help if we all stand, we all against the occupation, of course. But if I don't, for example, go with, with, with 
Gili, who's my friend on, 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 the, on the Israeli side, and explained to him my childhood life. And he explained to me when he was afraid to go into buses because of the explosions in the buses. And I don't feel his pain and he doesn't feel my pain. We will never change. We will never find any solution. And I believe bringing people together is the first step to make change. Mm-hmm. just to bring them together as a human beings. And we are trying also our best to bring people together, to sit and talk and explain and see each other as a human beings. Mm-hmm. At the same time, we are helping. We are helping so much in Jordan Valley, in South Hebron Hills, in Sheikh Jarrah now, we are there. We demonstrate against the war, we were arrested. We are saying it out loud. We are against violence, all kinds of violence. Occupation is dangering everyone. Ending the, the last day of occupation is the first day of peace. That's great. So Osama, I, I have a question that I ask everyone that I interview. As somebody who's thinking outside of you know, the, the preconceived boxes or tools of what resistance is, uh, have you, what kind of challenges are you facing, let's say from family, community, if any, or from the outside world, or even like from dealing with other Israelis? So your friends are, a lot of the Israelis you're dealing with are peace activists, uh, but if there are other issues that kind of emerge because you're working on these issues, what are the challenges that you find always are present and you have to address them constantly? Yeah, first of all, I wanna, I want to correct you, but I think I don't think I am out of the the box of the resistance because mm-hmm. I was learned when I was kid from Arafat, who was my leader and my hero by then. Now I don't have heroes, but uh, Arafat was my hero, and he said resistance is not a weapon of fighter only. Mm-hmm. Resistance is a brush of a painter. Mm-hmm. Resistance is a pen of a writer. Resistance is a poem of a poet. Mm-hmm. So resistance has many ways. It's not only fighting by women. Unfortunately, the normal cultural way on this land is violence on both sides. So that's why people think we are out of this box. Yes, uh, I think some people think that I am normalizer. So I'm doing normalization, even though I am talking about occupation 24-7 every day, explaining to people with my Israeli friends what is occupation. My Israeli friends are against occupation. Are, they don't serve in the army. They go all around the world, talk about the inhumanity the, the about the occupation in West Bank and sometimes inside Israel. And people still because, uh, think that some people, of course, still think that we are not doing it on the right way. They think that we are normalizing the situation. We are not equal, but we show that we are equal. But we are not doing this, actually. We are fighting together against the occupation. And uh, some people support us. So it's like every new idea, even when the prophets came with their messages, people fighted them. And I think also Gandhi said, first, they're going to laugh at you. First, they're going to ignore you. Then they're going to laugh at you. Then they're going to attack you. Then you win. That's how every beast for revolution starts. 
if they don't attack you, so you are not on the right side and I believe, or on the right path. And I believe that there are two kinds of fishes. One kind is swimming the normal stream, the normal stream with everyone, and they are healthy and good and strong. And the other kind are swimming against the stream and they are healthy and well and stronger. And I choose to swim against the normal typical stream with my partners from all around the world, not only Israelis. Everyone is standing for my rights as a human being, not only as Palestinian. I am a human being. I am asking the whole humanity to stand for me because they have to. It's not a choice. If they believe in the humanity, they have to stand for me, for my kids, for my neighbor kids, for mm -hmm. all the Palestinian kids and the Israeli kids, mm -hmm. if they believe in the humanity. My case is not Palestinian only. It's a big, bigger case. Mm -hmm. That's beautiful. So this brings me to the next and close to the ending question. A lot of new activists, uh, young activists who are coming to their political consciousness right now are probably going to struggle with similar issues and face similar challenges. Some of them might be even, you know, that might prevent them from engage, engaging in activism. So what kind of advice do you give these young activists, these young individuals, Palestinians or Jewish activists, who, you know, as you know from your experience, will face lots of obstacles? And also maybe to put it differently, what kind of advice would you have given yourself as a young boy just coming to his political consciousness and deciding on how to engage in resistance? Mm -hmm. Wow. <laughs> That's an amazing and difficult question. I think my advice is to everyone, just when you go to fight, fight for everyone's rights. If you fight only for Palestinians, you will never win. And I'm telling the whole everyone, if you want to support us, don't be pro-Israel, don't be pro-Palestine, be pro-humanity, see where is the injustice and go against it. And fight the system, don't fight the people. If you put people as your enemy, if I put the Jewish people or the Palestinian people as my enemy, I will never succeed. I will never make any change. I have to understand where is my enemy and see always the bad and the good things on the, on the other side, not keep focusing on the bad things on the other side and try to connect and listen more to each other's stories, each other fears, each other narratives and work together always together because only together we can make it better work together to change the situation and don't be afraid of the systems of the governments because what we are facing right now for example like me if i want to go to demonstrate in jordan valley because i live under military rules any 18 years old soldier can arrest me up to three years but they can't arrest my Israeli partner because he's a citizen and I am nothing in their eyes. So when we are in West Bank, he's my guest and I protect him and there he is protecting me. So as long as we are together, we can make change and we have to understand that 
It's making changes, not one step. It will not end tomorrow. We have to believe in what we are doing. And, uh, you know, and not be afraid of, again, of the pressures of the systems. Israel, like every, every time, if any Palestinian go and participate in our demonstrations, if he works in settlement, they cancel his permission. If he wants to travel, they stop him at the borders. If he wants to, to go to Jerusalem to medical reasons, they don't give him permits. You know, they are making pressure on people not to go and resist. So we have to believe and not to be afraid of the system and just keep going and believe in each other's rights. We have to delete this idea from our mind that we are fighting each other. That's, I think, the most important thing. We have to understand that occupation is the enemy of the Jewish people, same like Palestinians. No one will be saved as long as I'm not free. Mm -hmm. No one will be saved as long as my son is not allowed to go to the sea and mm -hmm. see it in his life. He's, he's, he's 15 and he never been on the beach. I was on the beach first time when I was 30. Mm -hmm. No one will be saved as long as the other ones are not saved, as long as Gazan people are not saved, as long as mm -hmm. Palestinians in West Bank are not saved. No one in the world, because it will arrive, it will arrive. Even this last uh, war, when I saw things happening between uh, the Arabs inside Israel and the, Isra and the Jewish people over there, which was hard for everyone to see this violence, but... I used it to tell my Israeli friends, not friends, the fighter, I mean the normal typical people, as long as you are living in Tel Aviv and don't see the demolition and the discrimination and the apartheid in Hebron and Jordan Valley and Jerusalem, as long as you don't see the unjust rules, as long as you don't see what Israel is doing for people, even inside Israel, the, the, they are not equal, and they give rights according to their race and to their religions, no one will be saved. It will explode one day in our faces. And the last thing I want to say in this, mm -hmm. it's actually a poem for Mahmoud Darwish. Mm -hmm. He was in love with a Jewish woman. Her name is Tamar. Mm -hmm. So Tamar sent Mahmoud a message. Mahmoud, when we are going to meet, he answered after a year and the war. She asked, when does the war end or when will the war end? He said, the time we meet. <laughs> so my advice to everyone, sit and meet and talk and feel each other mm -hmm. as a human beings. And that's how we can end the war. That's beautiful. Thank you for ending on that note, Osama. Um, Shukran. We love Mahmoud Darwish. He's a, he's, he's a of wonderful course. Um, so to end, I just want to give you a minute to add anything if you think you need to add anything. If there is any reading or recommendation for our listeners to go check out, this is the time to share it with us. I want to say to the international community, especially the Americans, that you have to take responsibility of what's going on here. America is sending millions of dollars as weapons to Israel. 
If you invest half of this money to make peace, we're going to live in peace. If you invest half of this money to build projects for people to work, people will live better life. If you invest this money in making our life on both sides better, that life will be, will be better. It's your responsibility. It's your case. It's every human being case. It's not my case only. It's every human being case. The same way you know how to come and and uh, give Israelis permits to build settlements, Mr. Trump, and to annex Jordan Valley just to make the situation worse, please come for us, come to us with bitter messages. Come to us to bring us together instead of putting your power and your money to divide us and kill our children on both sides. Thank you. Thank you very much, Osama. I really appreciate your contribution and you sharing the story. Um, I want to thank our listeners for tuning in and I will hopefully come to you with a new episode soon. Bye. Bye.